0: 1888 Podcast
1: Network. I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why, presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. This episode was recorded live at 1888 Center by Bruce Sessions Live with very special guest host Samantha Dunn.
0: We're ready to go. Hi. Hi. 1888 Center, my favorite place in the entire landscape of Orange County. My name is Samantha Dunn. I am, uh, by by day, the executive editor of Coast Magazine, uh, and by night and the rest of the world, I am also an author with uh, several books and anthologies. But it's not about me today. It is about my guest and... Beloved friend, just so you know, um, there's no objectivity in this conversation. <laughs> this is my longtime friend, Francesca Lea Block, who is the author of more than 25 books, including the Wheatsey Bat series that really, just just for your edification and enlightenment, really was one of the vanguard uh, book series that, that created what is now called YA fiction. Right? I mean, fr- Francesca... Let's admit it. Ah. That it's, that's the <laughs> truth. Um, in in "Weedsey mm-hmm. Bat" and, and the following series, "Dangerous Angels," you know, Francesca put on the landscape um, characters that were sorry I'm popping here um, put on the landscape characters that were LGBTQ, that were, um, that were damaged and uh, messy and didn't have any kind of Little House on the Prairie upbringing. And she brought to the to the consciousness the L.A. landscape in a way that um, other kids' books really hadn't ever addressed. So for that and for everything <laughs> else that she does, uh, I consider her quite a genius, so hi. Hi, so happy to be here with I'm, you. I'm so happy <laughs> to be here with you. The last time we had a conversation, <laughs> I, a long conversation, David Bowie had recently died. Do you uh, remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. And,
0: oh, and yes. And we had... Yes. Right. And we had both equally come to the conclusion separately that David Bowie had, in fact, been holding together the fabric of the universe. <laughs> yes. And now that David Bowie was gone, all hell would break loose. And, and we were right.
2: Yeah, it's true. Uh, so we just have to keep creating to... Ho- In his name, to hold it together as best we can without him.
0: Precisely. (laughs) And you have done that wonderfully. Uh, Speaking of which, let us talk about the the book of the day, which is The Thorn Necklace. Um, Yay. Thank you. What, uh, it's the old chestnut, but really what was the impetus behind creating this book, which is both memoir and, and writing guide, and poetic inspiration, and meditation on creativity and teaching.
2: Well, so um, I had been, I've been teaching about 10 years, and um, I wanted to get something out to my students and to would-be students. Um, About the writing process. And at the same time, a lot of people had been encouraging me to write a memoir, um, which I had never felt ready to do yet in terms of um, would anybody be interested. At this point in my life, I feel like I've lived long enough and have enough stories to tell that maybe they would, especially if I combined it with sort of a hands on craft type element. Um, So I kind of put those things together and. Revisited a lot of the material I talk about in my fiction, but through this much more exposing, as you know, writing memoir, right? This other form where there's no pretense that it's not you, which I'm sure we'll talk about later more. Yeah. But um, anyway, so it kind of was a blend of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's yeah. all for now, but yeah.
0: Well, one of the incredible craft elements of this book is your your 12 questions, right? That you come to um and if if you can uh, I will or you can, but let's okay. go through them. Yeah. And then I want to talk about where those 12 questions came from and, and okay. why.
2: So, let's see if I can do this. So, what is the character? I have a oh. ch- cheat sheet in okay. case you get lost. All right. So okay. Cool. Ahead, please. So, um, what is the what does your character want? No. What, well, it's not in that order. Okay. What is your character's gift? Thank what you. What is your character's... F- oh, she's a stickler. Okay. <laughs> character's gift, character's flaw, yes. character's want, character's need. Yeah. Um, who is the... Anta- or what is the arc of the character? I love that I'm quizzing her, <laughs> on her own book, yes. Uh, who is the antagonist? Yeah. What is the style that you... Or the setting that you choose and how that plays in, which I can talk about more later. Yeah. The style the crisis, the climax, the resolution, and the theme. Yeah.
0: Is that it? You just flopped the last two, but oh. it was perfect. Okay, it's almost cool. <laughs> like you, you created it yourself. It was <laughs> so well done. Where, where did these questions come from? So I was teaching
2: um, at UCA, UCLA Extension, where we both teach, mm-hmm. and um, I had always written very intuitively, and I taught fairly intuitively. And then I had a very challenging student who didn't want it to be intuitive. She wanted the rules and the the science and the recipe. So, um, I, you know, your antagonist is often the person who makes you grow the most, which is Mm -hmm. what is in this book as well. Um, so she pushed me in a way. And after that I started coming up with a very, with a formula, I guess, um, Yet, even though it's it felt kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it, it was a little prescribed. Artificial, perhaps. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, when I started applying it to my own work, to my students' work, and to all these classic books, yes. I saw that it actually worked. Yeah. And my teaching got stronger, my writing got stronger, and there's a lot of wiggle room. It's not, you know, you don't have to follow this exactly, but it, it does really apply. So... Um, and and I wanted to include that in this book uh, for as I say for people who are working on different. It doesn't have to be for a novel. It no. applies to a lot of different kinds of writing.
0: I thought I thought it was quite genius. Oh, thank you. I really did. And it, yes, the, these are elements we all know yes. from craft, but but to put them as put, to put them in that list and then to put them as questions rather than mm-hmm. precepts, mm-hmm, do you know, yeah, uh, was. Part of the, the oh, power, I think. of yeah. them, you know, asking the question of the text and of the characters.
2: And it's really fun if I'm in a classroom to do this as an exercise, and they all link up in this really interesting way, like a little puzzle, which yeah. makes my head hurt because I don't think that way naturally. But <laughs> students love it, and because the the questions I kind of interrelate. So, the for example, the flaw is the thing that. Be, the arc, and the need is the thing that ends the arc. Right. So you do like a little, a little game almost, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, part part of the reason, full disclosure, I love it so much is because it relates to my own teaching, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but that whole idea of the want and the need. Yes. Um, I always articulate that is the want is something that is conscious, right? Exactly. Con- yeah. You know the character, and, and you articulate this beautifully in your and your in your chapters. But the need is something that was unconscious and becomes conscious yes. as as the as the events of the story unfold, and the antagonist is the one who really yeah, helps us exactly, realize yeah. that. Yeah,
2: and like you say, all writing teachers are basically teaching these things. Right, it's just, it just was a way for me to put it in in this order. That's mm-hmm. all. But it's all the stuff we everyone really knows. But it's kind of a, just a fun take on it I right it, yeah. it
0: really is and again those questions I, i'm curious um you you mentioned a few a few writing books um I, I think in the book or maybe in some of the interviews that i've i've read about you talking about the thorn necklace uh which by the way the title comes from a frito Kahlo painting yes correct? Yeah. yes um but what What are the benefits for you and the limitations of craft books Mm -hmm. for artists?
2: So for me, it's kind of funny because here I am publishing one, but what I think I learn the most from and what I suggest my students read the most, that would be literature and just great literature. So I think um, that's what I would first suggest um, to just immerse yourself in great literature. Um, And then I think, and to just write a lot. Um, and then on on top of that, you can layer the lessons from a craft book. I don't think it's necessarily where you want to start, although what I tried to do with this book and what I feel some craft books do really well is kind of hold your hand through the initial phase. So for some people, it could be helpful. But I don't think there's anything better than just reading a lot of great
0: books, right? Amen. Right. Amen. Yay. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. That's uh, true. Right. I, it's funny I was just having a conversation with the writer Bruce Wagner who's oh, yeah. kind of the enfant terrible of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Los Angeles literature. He was he was the thing and the, the, the male writer that every male writer and many other many female writers were looking to as success and and, you know, Bruce, I don't, look him look him up, people. Yes. <laughs> I'm Losing You, Force Majeure, <laughs> uh, The Chrysanthemum Palace. Those are great titles to look at. But, you know, Bruce was basically just kind of a lost soul who barely graduated. I don't even think he graduated from high school mm-hmm. in Beverly Hills. But then started working in a bookstore, Book Soup. And that gave him his MFA. He's probably right. the most well-read writer, seriously, that I know. Yeah. And, um, I
2: I think that is that's the, the first thing I would recommend to anybody.
0: Well, and what was interesting to me too about the Thorn Necklace is that it it is the one of the most authentic types of uh, craft books. In that you you are really getting a look inside the head of how Francesca Leobloch Block thinks about story, heals from story, thinks about her life and. And at the end of the day, any craft book is just what one particular writer, how one particular writer puts it all together, mm. you know. Um, what did, oh, go ahead, sorry, need no, to no, no. cut you off. No, no please. Yeah, you, I, know, you know I can talk too much. There wasn't anything, no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm wondering what, there is a lesson in every book for us, and I think you yeah. talk about that a, a, yeah. a little. Uh, what was the lesson for you in putting together the Thorn Necklace this time?
2: I think it was, um, you know, I tend to be a pretty open book as a person yeah. and in my fiction, mm-hmm. but and I had written one other memoir about my first year with my as a mom with my daughter, but that's it. And it was a long time ago and it's very short. So the vulnerability that this forced me to, um, you know, express was different and challenging and scary and I got really scared right before it came out Uh. more than I probably ever have and when it came out what's been really interesting is I've never had so many sweet responses almost every day someone says you know oh you felt like that I didn't know or I felt like that or um, I've been reading this to help me in this way or that way so It was. I guess it taught me what I already believed, but emphasized it that um, vulnerability makes you stronger.
0: Yeah, if you speak really your truth. Yeah. I I always tell my students that, uh, and and for those of you who who don't know, really memoir is my thing. Yeah. Written fiction and short stories, but memoir is the is the form nearest and dearest to me. I I really believe in it, kind of like Mm. my religion. Yeah. Um, but uh i always say you know just if you if you do the kinds of things that you did francesca and actually you do it and that that kind of authenticity permeates all your work but if you speak truly what what is your experience and what meaning you've made of things that's your job and then you don't know who needs to hear it somebody out there needs to hear it and it's going to resonate with them in a wholly different way
2: yeah and i feel like um, i have even more respect for memoirists after doing this because of that Um, and i also will say that when i teach memoir which i rarely do i've only done a few classes mostly fiction but i have so much respect for the students who come there with their hearts open like that and and again more respect for what you what you're doing i mean it's really it's not easy and um to make sense of it is also not easy because you have to impose structure on something that's kind of amorphous as opposed to creating a story from scratch where you can create the structure
0: right um speaking of creating structure one of the elements of your of your questions is setting Mm, and and that is you know the world of the story that's a big thing for me I wondered if you could talk a little bit about setting in particular because you you are a definitive Los Angeles writer in my mind.
2: Thank you because I'm very proud of that um I you know um I feel like it's I've lived there (laughs) my whole life Mm -hmm. and um I really it has influenced me a lot and I talk about in the book that it's kind of my muse LA is kind of my muse um but I think in general setting is a place where I often start um and I remember once reading an interview with Joan Didion where she talked about the heat her a whole book kind of emerged out of her experience of the heat and you know how how powerful that is so I feel like and for me, it's also the easiest of all the elements of, of story for some reason. So if I can really explore that, like I have to write a short story for an anthology, and I was struggling, and then when I figured out where it was set and just started going back and exploring that, then the story kind of started to emerge.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I have a note about that. Uh, that I was just teaching for the last two weeks, and the form of my, of my class was about... Um, the world of the story, and starting mm. from the world of the story, I do I do an exercise where I um, uh, we begin with the, having you draw the floor plan of the place where the shit happened. Oh, that's great! So we draw it, and then and of course you're graded on your artistic ability. Not because if you could see my draw the drawings that I do in class, it's hysterical. Anyway. But from there, we build out the story, oh, right, that's great. from that place.
2: Well, that's a way, of course, too, to ground it in scene, For which slack. is, right,
0: yeah. You know mm-hmm. my magic, my you, know, you know my <laughs> magic. But one of our other <laughs> colleagues, Todd Goldberg, who's head of the MFA writing program at uh, UC Riverside, says, setting begets character, begets plot, yeah and I, and I yeah. Really love that about Ooh, that good. oh steal that, good job, Todd. Steal that. Good job <laughs> yeah Todd. no but and I really what is the particular you know because setting can be an ally Setting can be an antagonist I mean for you what is Los Angeles in Both all of, that? of those things Both of those exactly things. that would sum it up probably yeah. best yeah. yeah yeah that's for me too I mean the for me my muse is the New Mexico landscape yeah. I grew up in but but absolutely it um I wanted to ask a whole bunch of things, but okay, let's talk we're talking about influences, but I always associate especially your early works not only um, you know not only with Los Angeles but with punk music in particular, right that beat and that sensibility yeah. really informs a lot of your work and I don't know what what it, what what is the role of music in your art, and how has that maybe changed as you have become more mature because we yeah. won't use older because that's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Um,
2: I think it's kind of the same. I, I, when I went to see X in 1980 or 81 uh, at the whiskey, I, was, I thought that is how I want my writing to make people feel. I want that visceral experience And so that's still my goal that I keep trying to hit. And I don't think you can ever really do that, but you can, that can be a goal. So I feel like, and then with the book, I have um, an adult novel that I've been working, that I just finished actually, that has um, some nineties music kind of as the background, even though it takes place now. And I got so PJ Harvey, Bjork, uh, Sinead O'Connor. So, Wait, Songs do, like do that. Do
0: people even know who those people are? <laughs> okay, if you good, don't, look. Shocked. You better. Yeah. I, I really. It's like I just. I know. I feel. I still in my head think I'm really cool and hip and, and happy. I'm, I'm forgetting that That's I'm a 52 year old mother who lives in Orange <laughs> County, and I'm like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I but if you do. I saw Bjork, and my students go. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but so what? They need to look her up then. Come on. <laughs> P.J. Harvey is the queen. Come she on. Is. Anyways, oh. so, but, anyway so but so that music is is how I kind of conceptualized the book in many ways so so it's still um that for me, uh even if it is outdated, i don't care i'm still <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know but um yeah it's it's uh probably in a weird way, I would say. Well, at least as inspiring to me as any fiction I've read. I wouldn't say more, but it's as, as yeah.
0: I feel that way, too. It's weird, you know, when I first heard, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but when I first heard Public Enemy, you know, Chuck D, I got a letter from, listen to me, 52-year-old white woman, I got a letter from the government the other day, and I was like, yeah, my head—the top of my head—kind of exploded. Yeah, the same way when I first read Henry Miller, the top yeah. of my <laughs> head exploded. Yeah, that's great. Know? Yeah, and it really, um, yeah, it is one of the elements I think that informs us.
2: Do you listen to specific music for specific
0: projects that you're working on? Interestingly, I do. Do you want to hear what? Yes, they are? I okay. do. So when, so when I wrote, I wrote a for for, for those of you who who are not fluent in my, bibli- you know, my, my bibliography, um, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a memoir called Not by Accident, Reconstructing a Careless Life. And for that book, I listened to, a, I exclusively listened to Tom Waits' Bone Machine. Oh, perfect. Right? Yeah, yeah. That voice and that rattle and that ache yeah. was mm. present throughout mm. that book for me. And then when I wrote the memoir, um, Faith in Carlos Gomez, which takes place in the world of salsa. I was, of course, listening to Tito Puente and and Celia Cruz and Spanish Harlem Orchestra, and, and to the point where the neighbors were like, "Turn it down!" And, <laughs> down. Um, and then That's my sorry. first book yeah. was was really influenced by, like you said, you know, the P.J. Harvey, yeah. the you know, all all of that '80s old yeah. rock yeah. that we were turning on the college radio stations way back in the day, kiddos. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway i wanted to I wanted to ask what I wanted to ask so much i mean girl let's talk about creating in a time of destruction uh, yeah okay it's it is it is a very difficult time for many of yeah, us yes right given given the national conversation yeah. actually the world conversation when yes. you look at what's happening across all countries um, how does this how does the Larger conversation influence what you're doing now and For better or worse.
2: I mean one of the steps in the book is about taking action So I feel like whatever that means for you uh, whether it's you know for me It might be through writing and teaching and being a mom and you know um, Hopefully it's about people going out into the streets and doing it, you know um, Whatever it is that you can do and I just think it's more important now than ever, obviously, and hopefully, and I guess just believing that the little things you do have some meaning and not giving up. Because if we all gave up, right, that's the worst possible thing. So, and certainly that's the whole thing we were talking about with David Bowie earlier, right. but just um, right. how he represented that for me.
0: Absolutely. Just the- the continuous creation. Yeah, exactly. Form. He was really, oh, he was he was really that. And, and interestingly enough, in the book, you, I was very thrilled to see you. You mentioned that story that I told you about Joyce, uh, Carol Joyce. Oates. Yes. Um, years ago, I, I was a writer in residence. I was the writer in residence at the New York State Summer Writers Institute for a number of summers, and I was the lowest person on the totem pole to these big, you know, literary giants. And after a dinner one night. Um, Joyce, her husband at the time, pulls up in the car, and she gets in the back seat, and she opens up, I saw her open up her laptop and just start typing from the back seat of the car. Like, Like she she, never stopped. She never Never. stopped. In her sleep. In her sleep. Like, it's (laughs) never stopped. God bless her. Goddess. (laughs) And that kind of perpetual creation, okay, I'm not that, you know, whatever, psychotic, but that, that <laughs> example of perpetual creation, yeah, I think yeah. we have to keep in our hands. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, what are you working on now,
2: lady? Um, so I, I have a, a novel um, that I just finished in the UC Riverside Low Residency uh, MFA program, which Todd Goldberg runs, so all circles around. Yes, um, which I'm just starting to send out and uh, work on a sort of sequel-ish um, and I'm really excited about it, and it's pretty dark, and that seems to be the direction I'm going in more and more. And there's some mythic elements it, to it, which myth, fairy tale, those those sort of um, traditional stories are often where I start. I was gonna say that's work. often in yeah. right. writing, yeah.
0: right? Yeah. Uh, so let's go back a step and talk about that yeah. MFA line that you oh, put yeah. in. Oh yeah, I okay. just threw in there. Just just so our audience can understand. Yeah. I mean, one of the first times I think I knew of you was when I opened up the New York Times and there was a full page about mm-hmm. your work and a your, long time ago. Yeah, but come on. <laughs> you know, still. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're an award-winning yeah. author. You are a prodigious talent. You are the last person I would think would need to have an MFA, and yet you have apprenticed yourself again Mm. to the process. And I, first of all, I respect the hell out of that. Mm. Second of all, I want to know why the hell you did it.
2: (laughs) So um, I teach in an MFA program, but I had heard from a few people that to get more jobs of that nature, um, it would be helpful to have that degree on my resume and I just had never gotten one because at the time I came up it, it really wasn't essential right it wasn't, right? It wasn't. Right. and also I'd had a lot of publications so I figured that was the same but I, I heard this quite a bit so I finally decided to do it I needed something close by low res. I knew Todd, I know
0: Todd um, and Todd Goldberg by Todd the way yeah. we should say for the audience yes. that doesn't know it's impossible that People don't know Todd yeah. Goldberg but he's the New York Times uh, best-selling author of uh, gangster land and uh, oh boy I don't have his resume in front of me but New York Times best-selling author um, also wrote on the series burn notice uh, and has several short story collections yeah. as yeah
2: well. and I had a great conversation with him and um, I signed up um, and I expected you know obviously to learn something and to get this degree, which would be great and but i what I got it's been amazing i, I feel like one the critical papers and the writing and the reading, and having somebody actually read what I write about you know these books yes. um, i i'm i don't know that was incredibly inspiring and good for my brain and good for my teaching and good for my writing and I think I'll just quickly mention this um exercise that I do with my students with, in terms of writing annotations which is a three paragraph essay with the first one being uh, a quick summary of the book the second one being a craft element that What's you the yeah and then, uh, and then the third uh, cra- um, how you will specifically apply that craft element in your own work and okay. I see crazy growth when they do that yeah. um, so anyway so the critical part and then the creative part, I've been working with Stephen Graham Jones um, and Jill Alexander Esbaum in poetry. Well, Stephen in fiction, Jill in poetry, mm-hmm. and um, Joshua Malkin for screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And they've been amazing. And I've just felt, I've learned so much. And I've um, just really excited about the work that's come out of it. And at first, I will say, the first time I was workshopped was weird. Uh, because you do a lot online. Peons,
0: how dare you! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry,
2: but you know the first part's online, so you don't—you're not in that situation, and then you are in that situation uh, right. with people you don't know who are half my age. And um, right. but you know, I feel like my students—I now understand how they feel even more because I hadn't been workshops since I was twenty, whatever right. two. So I now really have even more empathy for the experience of that. Yes. And I think I can hopefully um, be even more present. But it, it's just been all over a really good experience. I'm still in the middle of it. I'm not quite done.
0: but I think when I heard that, that was a really important lesson for me. Uh, because you do become, I don't know, ossified in the sense that, yeah. that you are the person who knows something. Right. if you teach for a long time, if you publish for a long time, yeah. which I have, honey, you, <laughs> um, it's a real danger uh, to your own artistic process to be the one who knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I feel like, you know, I've written a lot of adult fiction as well as young adult fiction, and my interest is more in writing adult fiction, but I, my reputation as a young adult author precedes me, you in, know, in and I feel like this is a helpful way for me to hopefully kind of bring some attention back to the adult novels I mean I even with Weetzie I didn't intend it as YA it was published that way and so it kind of was very fortunate because it continued I was able to continue to publish um, with a wonderful editor but I also was a little bit boxed in there so I feel like this is another way to kind of branch out in terms of at least how I'm seen or, or you know.
0: That's interesting. That you know. was actually a question I was, it was just about to mm-hmm. ask you that sense of being categorized yeah. as an author. Yeah,
2: it's yeah. funny because I, I don't know. I guess that happens with everyone. Um, but as much as I appreciate the young readers um, I, and, and love them, um, it's not necessarily about the age of the reader. It's more like that person that gets it. And the the L.A. and the punk thing. I'm like that's that is how I'm sort of um, presenting myself or or inspired by those things. So mm-hmm. that to me feels like more of a category that I or the fairy tale myth thing. You know, those right. are things that I actually
0: intentionally uh, explore. Wow, good. What is the what is the book that has just knocked you on your ass Ooh. in recent times? Oh. I mean, I know we've we've all felt that, but what is the book that you've just put down and gone, wow. Of course, I am drawing a complete
2: blank right I now. I know. But I, yeah. you know what? I just revisited Carson McCullers for school. The Heart is the Lonely Hunter. Yes, and member of the wedding, but Heart is a Lonely Hunter is the one, yeah. I yeah. mean, that is it's the that best. That is
0: so wild. I just started reading. I, we didn't talk about this, folks. I just started reading that myself. I, we, we were going through old books. Oh, and it's so great. It is it's so, so great. great. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. To the point where I just be going, like, every page, like, what? What is she? What? what? You know? How did she do well, that? Right. And what's so interesting about a lot of kind of classic books like that is I, I think you can go, oh, well, you know, it's famous, it's classic, but it's kind of not going to be that that it's exciting stale, it's going right? to be a little stale but I mean I, I reread As I Lay Dying and I'm, I'm going like what the hell what what's going on like wait yeah. the horse what you know <laughs> so it's, it's they're shocking these books they're beautiful they're amazing so yeah that's what I've been ex- you know getting excited about a lot of the kind of classics which I'm as I say revisiting mostly for school but yeah. also I think it helps with everything
0: I just discovered the poet um, yeah. Matthew Dickman. Have you oh, ever read no. him? Oh, dude. Matthew Dickman Wonderland. I want you all to take this note. Matthew Dickman yeah. Wonderland, read it. It is one of the he's one of these voices that just he sounds like he's a guy that you know that is just talking uh, and it's you know, the first couple lines, you're like, yeah, whatever, I don't get it. I mean, why is this so special? And by, and by the third page, you're sobbing, going, oh, my God, this is the most genius. Thing. How did he do that? Why am I transported wow. into this feeling of joy and simultaneous joy and despair? How is that happening? How do you
2: think it is happening? He, do you think it's that natural voice that kind of lures you in? Or, like, what is the... It, it is yeah. that.
0: It is the deceptive, mm-hmm. simple vernacular. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, just, he's just a white dude from Portland and an ex-punk skater dude. That's what he is. And so you know him. Yeah, yeah. at least yeah. I do. At, yeah. least, at least many of us have met guys like that. Yeah. And then by the end, it is... It is the sense of I, th- I think wonder having wonder in the mm. title of his book yeah. was pretty genius. Because yeah. That is the word that you're that you're filled with. Like wow, how did he hard to do how it. did he break my heart? Yeah. Page oh. three. Oh. Talking oh. about a skateboard. I don't know how he did that, but wow. he did it.
2: That's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. To be perpetually surprised. All right. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you that you're dying to tell me? Or ask me. Oh, well, Wait, some of the... Do we talk about David Bowie enough? Anyway, go ahead.
2: Um, so your so some of the questions in my book, I'm just going to throw out a few of them and anyone that interests you or more than one. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say a few of them at once. Okay. So who's your muse? Who's your mentor? And how do you channel pain into art? Any
0: of those? My muse... Uh, I have a few horses. Are always my muse. Uh, some of you who maybe read my book, I, I'm a horsewoman. Have had horses since I was five. Even when we were, even as we are, uh, poor. That was the first um, and only like extravagance we always ha- managed to hold on to. And there's something about the movement of a horse and the smell of their the breath coming out of their nostrils that just really speaks to the heart of me and then um, and then I have to say my, my mother and my grandmother, the two Mentor. women who raised me, two very complicated dysfunctional and brilliant and funny women who raised me uh, continue to be both muse and yeah. antagonist for oh me. yeah that's interesting you know? Yeah. and then um, how do I channel the pain yeah um, I mean you
2: you do because that's what your what memoir often is yeah. right
0: yeah it is it is that just trying to wrestle to the page mm-hmm. uh, w- the the memories that I can't get away from oh, you know i yeah. I really think that that's what we're most engaged with the the story our memory tells us as we're writing memoir.
2: How do you start your students off? to beginning students with writing memoir. Like yeah, uh, well I st- I, that I do begin with that exercise. That's, That's so one great. of the
0: first things mm. because it's not because to say, "Hey, excuse me, you can you write the most dangerous thing. Can you write the thing that you don't want to talk about?" Right <laughs> right, now? Right. Just 2 minutes right now, you know? Yeah, it grounds um, it in in Yeah. A, we know. have to give a container mm. for that to hold that thing. That's wonderful. Right? Yeah. And, um, and you know Robert Olin Butler said something, or I read something that he said, or maybe he was quoting somebody, I don't know. I always attribute it to him. He said, a great story does three things. It is implicitly philosophical. It deals with the expectations it sets up in the beginning. And first and foremost, it creates a vivid and continuous dream in the reader's mind. Ooh, that's
2: good. A vivid and continuous yeah.
0: dream in the reader's mind. It's
2: easier said than done, but that's beautiful. Yeah.
0: So that sense of setting, yeah. just like you, I mean, I yeah. think I think if we first try to yeah. build the container, and then start to circle in on what what is the problem, where where right, is the right. trouble? I am always in search of where yeah. the trouble is.
2: And one more thing. Do yes,
0: ma'am. Tell me a story about a horse. A horse? Yeah. Oh, I only I only know sad ones. No, I'll tell you a happy one. <laughs> a happy one. So when we moved into this house, which I live in, and for those of you who who are here and know Orange, I live in Orange Park Acres, which is a an equestrian community. Have you been to the house yet, Francesca? No, uh-uh. Oh, we got to do that after we finish here. Anyway. So it's an old equestrian community. Everybody has horses in the backyard, and their bridle paths through the homes and everything. And so we had moved from one house to another, um, and we were looking, <laughs> we were looking at this house we were just about to to move into, and uh, there are stables. There's a sh- small yard, and then there's a gate, and you go down steps, and there's a paddock and some stables, and there was a, in one of the stalls was a little miniature pony. <gasps> Like he it turns out he hadn't been forgotten, but I, I thought, "Oh my God, someone this <laughs> little pony in this stall, and um so, as it turns out, no, it was just a friend of the landlord's who needed a place to keep this pony that she'd rescued anyway, but Mr. Snips, as my son called him, <laughs> Mr. Snips. Oh, that's great. <laughs> became kind of our house pony for a little while. And my son, who was very, much younger at the time, decided that he was going to tame Mr. Snips, right? <laughs> and so and Mr. Snips wasn't quite a miniature pony. He was like a very small Shetland. And so my son would, would get, finally he managed to get on top of Mr. Snips bareback. And wow. he, held on to, he held on to his mane and he took a stick and then he pre- proceeded to to ride around the paddock as as if Don Quixote, um, amazing, you know, That's great. Um, <laughs> uh, bat- battling windmills. And then one day, sadly, sadly, we went to the to the corral in the morning, and Mister Snips was gone. I know. It turns out that they just decided to take him to another oh, paddock. Oh, okay. Phew. But then my my son cried and cried and cried. And, um, and then he, he said, Well, mom, it's okay. There will always be another Snips. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the story of Mr. Snips. Yes, anyway. It's a good one. All right. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, my dearest, dearest love, Francesca Leo Block. Thank We've you, been talking about Sam. the thorn necklace mm-hmm. and, well, the meaning of life. So, <laughs> see you next time. Yay. Thank you. <laughs>
1: This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show was produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How, The Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books participating in our programs and pledging today for more information visit 1888.center that's one I want to remind you all to keep making art thank you